welcome and thank you for joining us. My name is Akshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. Uh, we welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my privilege to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of book Disrupt digital business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and now often I see him on TV with CNBC and Bloomberg and Fox Business. Uh, in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Bala. Um, welcome to my co-host as well, Bala Ashtar, uh, one of the top followers on CIOs and CMOs and what's happening in tech. He's also a big TV uh, celebrity, especially in Canada, uh, if you've seen him on uh, Canadian Business TV, and more importantly, an author himself, which he doesn't really talk about, but uh, we'll get there at some point. So anyways, hey, we're talk we're here really to talk about and talk with some really cool folks uh, in terms of what they're doing. And also, I just want to make a quick uh, you know, intro and hello to our radio listeners. Apparently, we've got few of those. Uh, and uh, more importantly, let's talk to our next guest. Who do we have here today? Which it's, legend do we have next? It's awesome. And he is truly remarkable. Our first guest is, is Hinton Shaw, co-founder of FYI. FYI lets you find your documents in three clicks or less. We're going to learn more about that. Hinton is a co-founder of several SaaS companies, including Cooksprout, Product Habits, Crazy Egg, and Kissmetrics. He's an active advisor and investor in startups. He has an email newsletter called uh, Product Habits, where he and his co-founder, Marie, teach people how to do customer-centric product development. He's a co-host of podcasts, The Startup Chat, and he's an extraordinary follow. Um, and, and, you know, I often recommend people uh, are, are in our audience to follow folks on, on Twitter, but Hitton is an extraordinary follow on Twitter at H-N-S-H-A-H. -H. Welcome, Hitton, to Disrupt TV. It's great to be here, and it's an honor to actually uh, talk to both of you uh, for the first time uh, in, in person uh, and not on Twitter, because I follow both of you, and both of your accounts are actually fantastic. So um, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'll, I'll say one thing, because you said so many things about me. Uh, so I'm going to start with just one piece of advice real quick, which is I have this belief that the only way to do more is do more. So that might explain all that stuff you said right now. <laughs> Well, you, are awesome. you are a serial entrepreneur and you yeah. just keep doing more. So that's yeah. awesome. inspiration. Right, we're done. We're done with that question. Now, yeah. the question we have yeah. is like, what's the secret DNA? <laughs> now, do more. But what's the secret DNA behind your passion to build new companies? Like, I mean, you're, these are all different types of companies, right? Yeah. It's like they're all different ideas germinating your head and suddenly, boom, it's like, I'm going to go do it. It's pretty amazing. I, I love building things. And I also love helping other people build things, uh, which means I've helped a whole bunch of other folks as well. And it's fun. And that's how I learned. So I, I like to basically learn by creating. Uh, and that's what's gotten me sort of to build all these things. Obviously, not everything works. So whatever works stays and whatever doesn't work, you know, you learn how to like ditch, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's just the, 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 fuel for, the fuel for life is the act of creation. And I think I, I try to find my way to figure that out. Another thing I would say is I focus much more on my energy than my time. So what do I have energy for? I'm going to do that. And I don't worry about having time for things. This is the first time that you and I have talked. Um, yeah. But I've been following your uh, work on, on specifically Twitter for years. Uh, there's a certain zen, there's certain calmness, um, 
Like, I don't know you, but if somebody asked me about you, I would say, yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> he's like a kind, yes, there's some, there's, there's not just generosity, but the overarching narrative in all the different things that you share is just be a good person and, and just do what's right for the right reasons. That, anyway, that's my take. So basically, you know, can you talk to us about your, your, your mindset and your passion for building things, doing things? But at the same time, doing it in a meaningful way where you're advancing and helping, you know, the people around you, your community, society. Anyway, that's my vibe that I get from your stream. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. And it, I'm just being myself. And that's, that's who I am, what you see. So I really believe in folks who are uh, the equivalent of like what you see is what you get. Just like we used to have, you know, the WYSIWYG, which is everywhere now. Right. Uh, and and, and the, so this is idea of like WYSIWYG people. And those are the people I gravitate to. That's one of the reasons I'm here. Right. Because you saw me and you folks invited me. And I think both of you embody that same thing, uh, especially judging by the kind of pre-show call that we just did for 10 minutes. Right. And like the excitement, the smiles, like I, I feel like at, at everyone's best, they are some form of happy, energetic, optimistic, regardless of what we think they are. Th those are all sort of things that we're basically hiding from that, that sort of peacefulness, that, that Zen or whatever you want to call it. And that doesn't mean that you won't hear me get passionate or you won't hear that like, you know, like there's been, there, there's this track record I have for the last two years where there's a two week period in my life where I'm a tyrant to certain people because I'm really frustrated about something, usually at work, you know, and like, I'm not that person. I don't want to be that person, but it happens, right? And, 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 and you know, so I think one of the things that uh, I learned growing up was just like, um, leave things better than you found them. Mm. And, and that's really, if you ask me why I think you have that ethos about me is I try to do that with everything I do. And that tends to mean if you're going to be critical, find a way to make it constructive, right? Mm. If you're going to be, if you're angry or mad and you happen to just let that out to other people, then make sure that you apologize. Sure. Even if you don't understand why, just an apology can be really helpful when you've been angry or mad or something. So I think there's, there's something like that of just habits that you can form and that I really personally believe in and hope that other folks can just start thinking about things in a much more optimistic way, even when really, for lack of a better word, terrible things happen to them. Is there, is, it's like, what's the bright side or how can I learn from this? And it goes back to some of these kind of things that uh, learned growing up and, and, and just, you know, the type of person I'd like to be. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, th these leadership styles are so interesting, especially yes. given the startup environments we are today and also the different stages of startups. So what's required to be successful? That leadership piece, that vision, we get that, but there's a little bit more. And I think everyone sees the glamour of the startups. You know, they watch Silicon Valley, like, hey, I can go do this. And then you're like, oh, wait, 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 hold off, right? Um, but, but the main thing is like, what, what's changed and what hasn't when we go back and look at this last 20 years of startups? I think the number one thing that's changed is that it's easier than ever to start and it's harder than ever to grow something that you start. Mm -hmm. And there's so many reasons for that. There's also at the same time, so many people online now. So specifically I focus on online, but even everything is online. A coffee shop's online, right? Everybody's online. So it doesn't really matter. So I would say that the thing that has not changed is that the customer matters, period. So customer obsession and that requirement is increasing, but that hasn't changed. People want to use, build, uh, I'm sorry, use, work with, gravitate towards brands that are obsessed with that. 
And so to me, that's the bottom line. You look at all the brands that are working out there, whether they're tech brands or CPG or, you know, direct to consumer or, you know, even like a coffee shop, they have some kind of obsession with the customer, not just their craft. So back in the day, you, you had to be obsessed with the craft if you're going to start something. You have to really care about those servers that are going in racks, you know, if you're going to build a tech company back then. Now you don't need to care about that. You need to, you need to care a lot more about the customer and how much you can learn from them constantly. So my mantra is customer obsession. I think it, Amazon has really put that out there in the world and said that that's important. And, and they've embodied that for so many, like probably hundreds of millions, if not billions of people uh, mm -hmm. at this point. So that, that would be my answer, which is like the thing that will never change that you can always count on is um, you will win in a market in what you're doing if you're obsessed with the customer over time. Yeah, and, and you saw that with Amazon. I mean, they they tanked their earning they tanked their earnings forecast for the next two quarters, saying, "Look, we're going to get the one day shipping." I mean, <laughs> it's like a billion dollar plus proposition. You imagine going to the boards of any other company saying, "We're going to spend a billion dollars to figure out one day shipping." What do you think? I mean, you're like, act right there. Right. That's that long term thinking. Yeah, it is long term thinking, and it's companies like Amazon. And, you know, I have the good fortune at my company to interact with lots of companies that uh, that have customer obsession uh, you know as their guiding principle in their north star and it, it feels like what's common with all these customer obsessed companies is this maniacal focus on removing friction almost like applying um, fluid dynamic principles in their design thinking models where anytime you introduce friction you're degrading the experience so create this continuous flow, whether it's the magic band at Disney or Amazon Go stores, you walk in and out and there's no checkout line. It's just continuous flow. So when you're hiring people to build these numerous companies that you've started, how do you know that they're customer obsessed? Is, you know, what's, what are the signs you look for? And this would be great advice to folks that are trying to get jobs at startups. To, in order for them to demonstrate their customer obsessed, obsession muscle. Is there something they say or do? What, what, what is it that you look for? That's such a great question and no one's ever asked me that. I, I can't tell you I have a clear answer to that question about how do you determine if someone's customer obsessed? I think the number one thing that I've noticed about myself and folks who I value in that regard is that the details really, really matter to them. Yeah. The details of everything. And I don't mean from a obsessive compulsive disorder standpoint although you know there's some aspects to that i'm not going to take that away or discount it um, but it's about being able to turn that on and off so when they look at something how detail oriented are they about why it works the shape of it the rounded edges of it the the way it opens the noise it makes all these things that so many other people would miss and it's more of like a muscle you turn on it's also a or muscle you use it's one you can practice so you know that piece of it matters. And I, I can give you an example because what you said just resonated with me. And there's a quick story about uh, my business, FYI, that's fascinating. So we right. you mentioned you're removing friction, less yes. than clicks. You're so, going to get the, I mean, you're removing it. I don't know if I've ever got to what I needed in less than three clicks. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we, we built something in five days and it was a search box and it let you type in like uh, whatever keyword and it would literally directly go to the APIs and, and do a search and drop the results across a few different tools. We realized that people would only use that on a monthly basis. They would not use that on a daily or weekly basis. So then we came up with this, wait, we're doing this all wrong. 
everyone who's come before us has done this wrong. A search box isn't how people want to find documents. They want to find them right when they need them as fast as possible. They don't want to type anything in. And so this reducing friction thing comes in my head. And the way we figured that out is we paid attention to what people told us about how they found documents. They find them by going to the tool they use. They find them by figuring out what was recently changed and modified. And they find them by actually talking to people who shared them with them. So Vala, if you shared something with me a few days ago, I might be like, hey, can you share that link again? Right? So we built an experience that I'm not going to share more about because you should all check it out. It's at usefyi.com, but where it's not about a search box. It's about finding stuff based on how you want to find it and finding it in three clicks or less. So when you say friction and then we talk about customer obsession, I think reducing friction is the number one tactic. And the way you do that is by being obsessed with how are they doing things and how can we make it a hundred times easier? For them to there it. are times, but there are times when friction is important. It's part of the experience, right? I mean, the friction of walking into a Four Seasons where they greet you, as opposed to you might go to another hotel where you just want self-serve and never see anybody, right? In a Marriott, I go right to my room. No check-in. No, <laughs> no You take the key. So I, think, <laughs> I think to your point, I, I totally agree with you. To your point, experience trumps friction. And, yes. and it's about the experience that your brand needs to provide people. And but at the same time with the four seasons, like if you had to give them too much information about yourself when you check in, right? Right? <laughs> would like that. So, yeah. you know, it's just like almost like you have to it's know like your audience. into a casino. Casinos yeah. ask more information than needed, which is why their lines are horrible. Right? <laughs> That's correct. It's always the case. You show up for a convention, you're like, why is this line this long? I, so I do subscribe to convenience always wins. Over time, I think, you know, over time, I mean, you know, once you establish trust, but I do also agree that I like the high touch. You know, if, if, if I do have to wait, but in return, I'm getting a high touch, really personalized, ex exquisite that service, then, then I might tolerate that, that, that wait time. But, but yeah. Bala, welcome to the hotel. Here's a glass <laughs> of champagne while you wait. We yeah. love to hear a little about your day. Uh, yeah, what yeah. kind of room would you like? Well, we got There's a couple options. Better. But you have to pay for that experience, right? So it's almost. Oh, you like, do. You pay. You pay out the door for that. And I, know, I know all of you like all all of you. The two of you like frameworks. So to me, it's like price, basically convenience and experience. And, and right. how do you like? Perfect. What is that? What matters to your customer based on that? Do I only get two out of three? Is this like the faster, better, cheaper mantra? <laughs> you know, on, on that whole faster, better, cheaper thing, I want three out of three. Yeah. I, want, I want three out of three. I don't care what anyone says. I want three out of three. Let's figure it out, right? <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> yeah, we, we all hope that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to make it happen, right? <laughs> but, but, hey, but I want to talk to you about something. Just it's, it's, it's something I've been noticing, too. Like, we've been seeing the rise of other startup centers. And I'm not sure if you're seeing this, and maybe that's impacting the way you're you're bringing people on board, but we've noticed that over the last six months, 12 months, there's a lot of attention being focused on Seattle. Um, Seattle and Austin, especially for enterprise software, we're seeing those places kind of explode, right? All the cloud operations centers are moving to Seattle. Salesforce is up there. Google's is up there. Of course, Amazon, Microsoft are there already. We see the VCs there actually focusing on enterprise tech. And it's like the Valley's kind of left enterprise software or enterprise tech. I don't know if you're seeing that, but uh, just trying to get your gauge of that. Yeah, my, my gauge of that, I love that. My gauge of that is those places always had enterprise. So mm -hmm. they always had the old school, like Boston especially, right? And then, and then Austin, I think the, the cost of living is a big thing there, right? Mm -hmm. There's also a, a bunch of like sort of really large Fortune 500 companies that sit, sit in the area overall, right? Texas as a whole. 
And right. so my, my take is this, we're the, if you believe in the consumerization of IT, that is what folks in the Bay Area are focused on. Hmm. While everywhere else, they're focused on tried and true, which is still huge, yeah. enterprise software. That, that would be my rough take on it. And you are seeing less enterprise software, I think, the, the traditional enterprise software being built here, while the bottoms up approach and even mid-market and up kind of starts more here just because of this consumerization concept, which we're not anywhere near you know, this consumerization of enterprise yet. Not, not like from what I can tell, there's still, there's still a lot of companies that rely on hardwares and shared drives and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and you know, on-premise and all that, which is all great, right? Not my business, but all great. Now, how does that, how does that change your way of, of hiring, especially remote workers? Because given the cost of living here in the Bay Area, it's, it's crazy, right? And we're running at $1,100 a square feet on average in real estate. So it's like 300 in Austin and they're complaining, right? So. <laughs> I, I, I love offices. I love the vibe. In my 16 years of doing things online and having online businesses, I've always been remote. So mm. it's one of those things like eating meat or like, um, yeah, eating meat's a good example. I don't know any better. I, I don't eat meat. I've never ate meat on purpose. I've done it accidentally. Don't get bothered by it. And, you know, I don't know any better. So even being an entrepreneur, I don't know any better. So there's these few things I just don't know any better. So when you ask me about this, like, hype, I would say not in a bad way about remote work. I'm studying it. We're working on some things to like talk about it. But at the end of the day, this is the analogy I'd give that, that, that just always comes to mind for me. The number one thing that's most important is the fact that in life with human beings, we have freedom and we're going to optimize for that freedom. We didn't have freedom growing up. Our parents told us what to do. Our teachers told us what to do. We had constructs. We had to go, to go to certain places at a certain time and do certain things. And it wasn't our choice. We can act like it's our choice because we made the choice of going to this college or, or whatever, right? But it wasn't our choice. It was some system on us. And I'm not like, oh, you know, laissez-faire, freedom, all that. I'm just saying like human psychology orients us around wanting to be happy and freedom has a lot to do with it. So I think the reason that remote work is where it's at today is because we want more freedom. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. And yes, costs are going up too, <laughs> for sure. In a lot of areas. So that helps. That helps. Hey, that helps. You're right. Yeah, but that's, freedom. Why, that's why being customer obsessed, or just obsessed in leaving things behind better because of your contribution. Yeah. Those 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 characteristics are important because um, you know with autonomy you have to, you have to demonstrate responsibility yes. um, and you have to be self-motivated because no one's watching you. Um, and in high performing startup environments, you can't hide. <laughs> you're either contributing or you're not. It's almost like an yeah. athlete on a, on a basketball court. They know how many points, <laughs> how many rebounds, how many assists. People measure outcomes. And so, um, and, and it's a smaller team. So again, you can't hide. But the benefit is if you're remote and you can contribute and do well, yeah. a founder CEO like yourself can recognize the individual and accelerate their career trajectory and learning. Um, so my question, my final question, who inspires you? Because again, you're a fountain of goodness <laughs> online and now I see in person. So is it your parents? Is it, is it a group of mentors, friends? You know, how do you stay teachable and how do you continue to uh, you know, inspire others? I love variety. I, I wish I had a single answer for you, but like both of you inspire me for different reasons, right? Like for example, right? Um, I, I feel like everyone I meet can inspire me. Whether they do or not is a different story, right? Because like we have our moments, but I would love to live in a world where inspiration can come from anywhere and anyone. And, and, and that's, what I, that's what I go for, 
So even someone who, whose opinions and ideas I have a, I'm triggered by and I have a reaction to, I still want to be inspired by them. And, and so that, that's my sort of non-standard, I don't want to mm -hmm. give you one person, but there's two of you right here, right? <laughs> so, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Wise words of wisdom, deep thoughts from co-founder of several SaaS companies, FYI, product habits, crazy egg, and kiss metrics. Hit and shop, please come back. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Bye. Awesome, awesome. This is why Fridays are my favorite time of the week. Like super this is amazing. Yeah, we're man. very lucky. Uh, just, just, I'll just say that. And, and we're especially lucky with our second guest, who's extraordinary and amazing author, Betty Nick, founder, CEO of Inspiring Diversity, author of Polling Power, speaker and tech entrepreneur. Inspiring Diversity, sometimes referred to as ID, helps organizations increase profitability and employee retention with a practical solution for building inclusive, collaborative, and high-performance culture. Betty is a tech and media entrepreneur, author, trainer, professional speaker, consultant. Her, new, her book, Pulling Power, Propelling Yourself and Others to Success. We're going to learn about the book during the show. Prior to being a founder of uh, ID, Betty was a senior vice president at Moody's Corporate Development Group, where in this capacity, Betty was responsible for origination, evaluation, execution of investments, mergers, and acquisition opportunities. To learn more about ID, uh, you can follow uh, uh, Inspiring Diversity on Twitter at InspiringDIV. Welcome, Betty, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much, Val. I'm so excited to be here with you and Ray. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for joining. I mean, look, as, as, a, as an Asian American going through that story, going through what your uh, mother was talking about, reading through uh, the book and, and hearing about these areas, um, this is a very, very fascinating journey. Right, both of your success, uh, your mother's success, uh, and really about talking about how to make everyone else successful. So what is, and let's give people the context of what is polling and how does it tie back to your mother and that spirit of success? First of all, I'm so glad that you both love frameworks because polling really is a framework. Polling is my mother's name, and you know, just for those of you in the audience, it's spelled P-O-L-I-N-G. And polling is a framework that I developed that really epitomizes those key considerations for what it means to propel yourself and others to success. And so I leveraged my mother's name as an acronym. And just a little bit about my mom's story. So back in 1975, in the heart of New York City's Chinatown, my mother, Po Ling, was widowed at the age of 32 and left with four of us to raise on a social worker salary. And instead of giving up, she persevered instead for her own purpose and her vision for her authentic self by obtaining two master's degrees and devoting her life to the community, really helping everyone from young children to senior citizens. And now fast forward over four decades and over a hundred awards later, she's really one of the most successful people that I know based on the impact that she's had on so many lives. She's even been brought back to China by the government, awarded for her impact on overseas Chinese, had a day named after her by Gail Brewer, Manhattan Borough President. And so Paul Ling represents a framework, as I said, for what it means to propel yourself and others. So P for persevering for your purpose, your passions and your personal vision for who you want to be. O is about helping others to succeed. L is leading. 
I is inspiring. N is for networking, which is really about relationships. And G is about growing. And so when you think about all those considerations, it's really about authenticity. It's about inclusion, helping others. And as a result, it's very much the foundation for inspiring diversity. That is amazing. That is amazing. So I'm going to repeat the acronym for our audience. And then my question is for you to maybe speak to one or two of the words sure. that most resonates with you and, and the readers of your book. So polling, you talked about perseverance and priorities. Uh, others uh, lead, inspire, network, grow, polling. And then power, priorities, obligations, worthwhile activities, energy, and resource. So you know, a, a, a very rich set of words. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about one or two uh, that, that, again, most resonates with you? So let me talk about N, which is networking. networking. And I, wanna, I want to focus on how it's not about handing out business cards, which a lot of people <laughs> think about when, they're, when they think, oh, networking, oh, I'm going to this networking event. Oh, oh it's about like how many business cards I can collect, how many I can give out. <laughs> You know, but that's the worst. But for me, the way that I define networking, it's really about establishing, building, and leveraging relationships to make things happen. And networking happens at any time, you know, anywhere. And it's really the foundation. It's about relationships. And that's how you make things happen. Right, so I think that networking is so important in all aspects of your life, whether it's professional or social. And that's the thing about the polling power framework. It's something that you can apply within a professional context or just in your life in general and how to really create a richer life. Um, another thing actually Hidden had mentioned energy. That's the E in power, right? Right. You have to do things that truly energize you and those around you if you're going to make real impact. Because if you're not energized about it, who will be, right? right. And um, if it's going to be sustainable, it has to be something that you're passionate about, that you draw energy from. Do you, do you think there's a correlation to that? Because when I think of uh, Hinton or yourself, uh, I think of givers. Givers um, and givers, by my definition, give without expecting a get. Uh, they invest in relationships before they try to cash a check. Uh, yeah. And and so, do you need lots of energy to sustain this mindset of giving and giving and giving when you may not get anything in return, and that's okay with you because you're intrinsically motivated to do what you do. Yeah, I think that. For people like me and Hinton and, and both of you, we draw our energy actually from helping people, knowing that we have made a difference in somebody else's life and that we're making impact, yes. right? And I think that they really do feed on one another. And what energizes me is really helping others and knowing that, you know, it's not about, you know, the tit for tat, you know, I'm not about that at all because I love to even connect other people. When we talk about networking, it's about connecting other people. How can we bring other people together who should know each other because they together can create 
greatness and help others as well. You know, this is like the, this is the old school way of doing things that we've kind of lost in a digital world, right? I mean, you, you hear about someone needs help over here, you know somebody, you get them connected, right? But you're thinking about helping people. I mean, that's, that's really the basis of the fact, like, hey, can I put these folks together so something good comes out of it, right? And, and that, that, I mean, you know, and that somehow is lost. I don't know what it is. I think a lot of people forget that these days. But, but Ray, yeah. you do that. You do that once a year, three, 400 of the top executives in the world gather around you to share their, their, their practice. So, I mean, you're a connector. I, I had a tiger mom. She was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great training. You know, she did it all the time. She's like, hey, you know this person over here? Oh, wait, wait, let me connect you. I mean, I just watched it. Like, you know, I watched my, I watched my mom do this all the time, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's natural. I think it's beaten into me and my brother. Uh, I mean, in a good way, in a good way. In a good way, in a good way. Anyway, there's, there's no kids harmed. Uh, Child Protective Service, don't call me my own. <laughs> old. Um, but, but you get the idea, right? It's, I mean, but, but, but people don't see as much of it anymore. It's today, it's very, very selfish. Uh, as opposed to selfless, and and I think that, I guess you know, Betty, what you're trying to say here is like it's it is it's a, it's a selfless act that starts this, right? Yeah, and you know what I I really fundamentally believe fundamentally believe is that when you help others to succeed, you are more likely to succeed as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So so what are some of the questions? Like, what should we be asking ourselves, our network, the connections that matter to us, in order to implement your polling power framework? Well, I think that first it takes some self-reflection, mm. right? Asking yourself for that P in polling, what is my purpose? What are my passions, my priorities? What's really important to me? What's my vision for myself at the end of the day? What is it that I want to achieve? Because if you don't first understand that, then you can't really effectively you know, ask people for help or expect people to help you in a meaningful way and vice versa. You have to, I think it really is very helpful to understand what is Vala's vision for himself? What is Ray's purpose? How can I help him in a meaningful way? And I think it really starts with that fundamental question. And I think that once you can articulate that, hmm. then you can come up with those goals that will get you from where you are today to who you want to be and also help Vala and Ray get from where they are today to where they want to be. And then, you know, come up with those key goals, right? But you also have to always be practical in terms of managing what matters. And that's where the power considerations come into play. And so again, so power is about making sure that what you're doing is truly aligned with your power, your organization's power, your community's power. And what I mean by that is always asking yourself, okay, is what I'm doing aligned with those priorities? What's important to me, my organization, and my community? Wow, so as you go through this framework, right? Yeah. I mean, these, these power questions are, are kind of key, right? Yeah. To, the, uh, to the power framework. Um, what do people get wrong? Right? You probably should bump into people read the book. They're like, oh, I'm doing this. And you're like, no, stop. You know, yeah. uh, here's what I meant. So. Yeah. So people, a lot of times people get a lot of things wrong. But, <laughs> no, no. But uh, <laughs> I think that one thing that uh, people struggle with is the resources, the R in resources. Right? Oh. And that actually, because a lot of times people are very myopic in terms of, uh, you know, 
I don't have the resources to do this. So no, it doesn't make sense. But what people really need to do is think outside the box, right? Maybe you don't, in front of you have the resources, but that's also where network comes into play, right? Mm -hmm. And it's tapping into your network and seeing if those resources may exist by tapping into those, into you know, your relationships and so forth. And so sometimes people just say, eh, I can't check the R box or the mm -hmm. R row. And they get frustrated, it's like, oh, well, then I can't go down this path. But people oftentimes really need to think outside the box about resources. Resources, that's critically important. When I think about, when people describe their strategy to me, I always, at some point, ask them about committed resources because a good strategy without resources is a, a sports car without gasoline. You can look at it, it looks awesome, but you can't drive it. So resources <laughs> are important. Now, um, I had a, an intern from our Salesforce Boston office uh, reach out to me a couple of weeks ago, and she said, there's about 30 of us, and we'd like to come and have a session with you in terms of career paths. And, uh, well, I couldn't say no, because I love the fact that there's actually a number of interns that want to uh, <laughs> get together and, and, and meet with me. But at the same time, and this meeting is Monday uh, in our offices in Boston, and uh, so please give me some advice. How can I help these uh, incredible, smart, young, ambitious adults, you know, build a career that, that aligns with their passion? Yeah, so uh, tell them to read Polling Power. Actually, I guess one thing I should, one thing I should note about Polling Power, and I, I recently did a keynote speech at Intel Corporation on Polling Power. And, uh, and really how that can, can help people in all aspects of their lives, especially their careers. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out about polling power is that it's actually a matrix. It's a decision evaluation and measurement tool. So it's not just polling power, you, you check off every box down the line, but it's about polling, yeah. you know, living by polling, right? Those elements, those, those six elements of polling. And as you go through each element of polling, you then ask yourself the power question. So it's actually a six by five matrix, uh -huh. right? And so, you know, in terms of advice, I would say definitely it does go back to that fundamental question of what is your vision for yourself? What is your purpose? You have to first understand that. And sometimes people you know, think in a very boilerplate way. Oh, I want to rise to become a senior vice president of the company because that's what they think they should be saying. Right. As opposed to right. in their heart of hearts, that's really what they, what they want their legacy to be. But, but, they, I want to ask, so I'm, I'm assuming that these interns, and it may be a poor assumption on my part, yeah. but I'm assuming they're between 21 and 25. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking undergraduate, graduate. And then I reflect back as, you know, me filling out your six by five matrix when I was in my 20s. Yeah. I mean, it would have been, I'm not sure I knew anything until I entered my 30, 40. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what's interesting is, uh, so so in Polling Power, the book that, that, that I wrote with my mom, we actually, uh, you know, take people through our life journeys from pretty much birth right, through right. Uh, now. And we talk about the relevance of the framework and it's really something that can be applied at all stages of life. Awesome. And you know what? I admittedly, my vision for myself changed and morphed over the years. But I think that at any point in your life, 
you have to know or at least have a sense as to where you want to go. Okay. And that might more that might change over time, but you have to to always be heading in that direction. Yeah, I agree. Of where you think you want to go. And that can change. So how, how do we how do we put this to work? How do we harness this power of helping each other? How do you build this into leadership frameworks um, so that people know what, what to do, right? And 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 some of the work that you might be doing uh, with companies. Yeah. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's really about embedding this philosophy, these behaviors in the day-to-day, -day, which is one of the reasons why we didn't stop at writing the book. We also created an app, a platform called Polling Power that enables people to not only build their own polling power and really evaluate, okay, so what is my purpose? What is my vision? And what are those goals? But it's really about engaging others to collaborate, to to help each other at the end of the day to achieve goals that authentically matter. So it's really about, you know, because as you know, or you know, as, as you may be aware, when we document our goals, we're more than 40% more likely to achieve them. Mm -hmm. And then when we actually share them with others, we're even more likely to achieve them, not only because of the shame factor, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> achieving it. Damn, I didn't do it. I shouldn't have told you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have told you about that. <laughs> That's how Ray got his first book out. He, you know, we kept reminding him, "Come on, Ray, where's the book?" <laughs> yeah, where's the book? Where's the book? You keep talking about it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that again. It's By the way, he's working oh, on his second book. Okay. He's working on his second book. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Terry, talking about books, my, my kids are about to publish a couple of books, so I'm really oh, excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually. So it's it's really funny because. Um, they, uh, they're, they're writing books based on the polling principles, animal stories, for kids, by kids. And, and it was really funny in terms of, you know, knowing your audience and, uh, you know, what you guys were talking about in with Hitten about being very customer focused. So um, when I was writing the book with my mother, I would explain to my kids who were seven and nine at the time, the polling principles. And then one day my, my daughter said to me, mommy, really love the polling principles, but honestly, don't think any kids will want to read your book. <laughs> because it's meant for a more mature audience. And she said, but who doesn't love animal stories? So they're about to publish a couple of books in September based on the persevering penguins, the otters for others, the leading lions, the inspiring iguanas, the networking nightingales, and the growing gerbil. And it's Better about cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So my final question, Betty, I, you know, did, did the writing of the book process solidify the framework for you and your mom? Or were you practicing these principles without, you know, uh, creating a matrix already? And, and just the writing of the book just helped codify and put some shape around your existing mindset? I, I definitely think that writing the book helped to solidify things. And it was really during the process of writing the book. So I had the polling framework and I had the power framework separately. Okay. <laughs> and then it was in the process of writing the book. And also, you know, admittedly one night I was just lying in bed. I was thinking about how happy I was awesome. being the founder of Inspiring Diversity, being mm -hmm. able to write this book with my mother. And I real that's when I realized that it came together in a matrix. Awesome. And then, so originally, the book didn't have all the retrospective analyses at the end of each chapter. But mm -hmm. as I wrote the book, I was like, you know what? At the end of each chapter, I should show people how this framework really works 
together as polling power. Terrific, terrific. This is awesome. We are here with Betty Ying, thinking founder and CEO, Inspiring Diversity, LLC, builder of inclusive, collaborative, high-performing organizations. She's the author of Polling Power, um, and, and, uh, in, in reference to her mom, and of course, the framework, a speaker in tech. You can follow her company on Twitter at InspiringDIV, I-N-S-P-I-R-I-N-G-D-I-V. Thank you so much for being on the show, Betty. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much Rian Bala. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Oh, what, a, what, a, what an amazing story. What an amazing author. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, the theme in both is, is networking is about giving with our first two guests. And uh, we'll solidify that even more with our final guest. This is the cleanup hitter spot where we have our first ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV guests and several time co-hosts uh, coming uh, on our show. Now, I know Esteban Kolsky doesn't like me reading his bio, but since Disrupt TV is distributed across 50 cities by video, and I'm obligated to share about Esteban. So Esteban Kolsky is principal and founder of ThinkJar, an advisory and research think tank focused on customer strategies. He's also an advisor, keynote speaker. I believe he's delivered keynotes in over 15 countries around the globe and a consultant. Before uh, founding ThinkJar, he spent eight years at Gartner, focusing on customer service, customer engagement, uh, management, customer experience, put, put, potentially any acronym that had the word customer in it, Esteban has been a thought leader in that space. You can follow and learn about his work at estebankolsky.com and on LinkedIn. Welcome back, Esteban. To this Thank you. Thank you. That was actually the shortest introduction ever. I really appreciate that. Thank you so well, much. Again, uh, 50 cities are listening to Disrupt via radio, so they need to be. <laughs> uh, I'll make it easy. Here you go. Tyrone Lannister. <laughs> I drink and I know things. That's me. <laughs> okay, it's been great having Esteban on the show. Yeah, no. yeah, <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Good night. Thanks a lot. Uh, hey, it's been wonderful. It's a. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. Let's do this. Let's no, do so this. We were, so, okay, so we were having this conversation uh, like 11 at night or something. I don't remember when it was. So we were chatting. You just come back from like, you know, this whole tour of the country doing a whole bunch of this stuff, personal stuff, right? And we're saying, what is up with enterprise software? Like, where are we? Why does it. Boring. Like it's boring, yeah, what's dude. going on with this? What's what's happening in this? You know, it's nothing going on. Nobody nobody has anything to do with it. We were so bored. We're just doing the same old stuff over and over again. We're trying to like you know evolve models that that don't even work anymore. We're trying to create futures that nobody understands. We're just stuck with people like Bala trying to propel people to to go forward and do new things, and nobody wants to because it's too complicated. People don't know what data is. They don't know what the cloud is. They don't know what digital transformation is. They don't know anything. That's just like, oh, let's do something, but I don't know what. Oh, I have my job for the next two years. So as long as I can survive that, I don't care. I'm bored. Let's do something interesting. Let's do something fun. Let's change the world, man. Come on. Can you, without, can you, without speaking to a client's name, which obviously you wouldn't, talk about something interesting uh, that, that that that's on your horizon or you're actively working on i know i know for example one of your last blogs you shared a one slide definition of customer engagement right collaboration with a client and i thought that was very robust uh, work and 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 uh, helped us really align ourselves in terms of what this set of terminologies that we all use but have various definitions associated to it that was that was actually great work and and we're not talking about the subway franchise test that you and i both failed the wonderlick test <laughs> <laughs> so. 
I told you, you had to dummify it. When you had to dummify it, you had to say like, what wouldn't I say in this case? And then that's the answer, you know? I know, but, but I failed it. I can't, I can't understand Here's the deal. So, so Bala, here's the thing. Uh, that, that's a very, very good question, right? I don't often say that, but uh, that, that engagement slide was part of a larger deck that is part of a larger exercise that I'm doing with the client on, on creating some, some messaging around that, that, that is going to be very interesting, right? I mean, when we get there in the next few months. But, but the reason that I, I, people keep telling me that I get stuck on, on, on semantic definitions and, and things like that. But the problem is like, you know, we don't have a common definition of cloud. We don't have a common definition of data. We don't have a common definition of digital transformation, engagement. CRM for crying out loud for different people mean different things. You are somebody and they'll tell you that sales, Salesforce automation is, is the CRM. You are somebody else, they tell you marketing automation is CRM. You are somebody else, customer data is CRM. So without a common definition, there's no way that we can actually evolve all this stuff. What I was saying earlier about like nothing's happening, nothing fun is going on is because we're stuck trying to like, you know, propel our own insecurities into the enterprise tech and trying to make that work in a way that, you know, will make us better than we are. And, and we're not. The, 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 the bottom line is for any company, it's really simple. Your job as a company, the job, my, my job as a, as a provider to the company is to build value for the customer and build value for the company at the same time, whatever value definition is, right? That's my job. You, you as a customer come to me with a specific outcome in mind, I have to deliver that outcome so that I create value for you. In the exchange to deliver that outcome, I will get some value for the company. Right. That's it. Everything else is just, you know, BS. I don't care what engagement is. I don't care what CRM is. I don't care what data is. I mean, 90% of people I talk to cannot define their own data. You ask them what data is and they said, oh, we have, you know, a data warehouse, three CDPs, 42 data lakes and 96 swamps where we have more data than anybody in the history of humanity. And I said, so what do you do with that? Huh? What do you do with that? You know, that value exchange part is really important, Esteban. I, I think people are forgetting that. But here's the thing, though. I, I really feel like organizations look tired. They're running tired. People they're are tired. I mean, and, so and they're this, something new, but they're, they just don't have the energy for whatever but reason. But that's, that's because, you know, one of the main reasons for that is we, we, we are overhyping technologies to do things that it doesn't do just to perpetuate a model that I'm shooting myself in the foot here because this is my job security, right? The, the bigger the vendors are, the more money they have, the more they hire me. But, but let's be honest. I mean, we're selling stuff that nobody's going to use with models and ideas that people don't understand based on, on, on perpetually evolving complex and, and, and more expensive things that don't really deliver the value. You know, you can spend, we, we complained back in the early days of CRM, we complained about spending five years and $20 million in deploying CRM, you know, a, a simple implementation that didn't deliver any value. Okay, that was 2002. We're 2019. What's the difference? You know, I, mean, I really want you to talk about this in February at the Ambient Experience Summit in Atlanta at the end of February, because I think people are like, oh, if we put this framework in, we'll be fine. Right. I mean, that's how everybody. No, no, no. Let's let's do customer journeys. And then then we're awesome. Then we got everything. We, oh, no, 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 no. Let's do big data. Oh, oh dude. AI. Come on. Seriously. <laughs> right. But AI. You, no, 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 no. You, you missed you wrote, a, you, wrote a, you wrote an optimistic piece on or no, you referenced. Uh, no, no, I didn't. If you said optimistic, that wasn't me. <laughs> no, no, it was, how, it was how the advancements in AI and the fact that it's it's now being matured using, for example, how children learn. Yeah. And, 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 and that is actually um, a promising 
trajectory in terms yes. of use of uh, technologies like deep learning, machine learning, to really build that anticipatory muscle as it relates to, for example, customer journeys, which we may have been talking about it for 10 years, but honestly, it's not until maybe a couple of years where you could actually do it. The technology wasn't there for you to do journeys, multiple channels, personas in near real time. Whoa, 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 whoa. It wasn't there. I mean, it, it was there. In 1999, Siebel introduced personas, and it works better than any vendor today has personas working in their implementations. I don't have familiarity with Siebel, but I was obsessed <laughs> about journeys for over a decade, and it was not until maybe 2012, 13, where I thought I had the technology to, to, to begin that journey. Um, it just, it, it just, we just didn't have an integrated platform yeah. where services marketing could have a 360 view of every touch point and somehow make sense of it all. Um, um, yeah, but, but that's, that's, but see, here, here's the thing from inside the company, right? What you said is, it's actually incredibly insightful, even though you probably don't realize it. It's incredibly <laughs> insightful because this is the place where everybody has been for the last seven years before they had ideas of what they wanted to do. They didn't have the technology. Then they have the technology. Then they have a glut of technology. Right. Then they have a glut of data. Sure. Then you're like so much of everything. That I don't know what to do. And on top of that, hey, but you know what? Don't worry because AI. <laughs> if I could sell you some AI, everything gets automated for you for free. But that's the bomb. We're living in a land of abundance. <laughs> yeah, we're living in a land of abundance in 2012. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, you ignore AI as a company, you're done. I mean, you're done. You're done. Because I see the blind spots that are being revealed by the incredible correlation engine that's powering what, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know no. my company. But yeah, no. And I, if you are running a marketing services sales line of business and you don't have machine learning on your radar, you're done. You're, you're, in a couple of years, you're completely irrelevant. My two cents. You're, you're, you're a privileged person, Bala, in the sense that you, you get exposed. You are. Okay, you're not white, but you're still privileged, okay? Yeah. In the sense that, like, you get exposed to people that actually are in the front line of transformation initiatives that most people don't ever see, right? Yeah, you, no. you, you and I, you know, Ray, the three of us, we live in a world that is different from we most do. everybody we, else. Right. We're right. in a bubble. <laughs> we really are. Yeah. I mean, no, we, we, we're, we have some great clients who no, have no, true, freedom true. to go no, do things right. that they, most companies don't get a chance to do. Right? No, and, I mean, and, but the thing is, like, we're, we're waiting for them to be successful so others can actually learn from them. Right, and that's but, really but, they, but, they don't, but that's the thing. I mean, so BT150. Yeah, uh, this is my shameless plug. If you haven't looked into BT150 for 2020, do so. Some of the most in, in, incredible initiatives are highlighted by Constellation Research. I don't get paid for this, I promise you. Uh, but you know, some of the most incredible <laughs> initiatives in transformation <laughs> yeah, are, are highlighted in the BT150 list, and, and some of the people that are making this change. I mean. Ray, you're exposed to some of the best in, in, incredible stories. Bala, you're exposed to the executive, executive, you know, board of directors and executive levels of companies that, like most people, would never be able to 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 even get to. We, I, I, mean, I get exposed to the, like, all these things. I mean, we are talking to people that understand this, but for the 98 percent of the rest, <laughs> right? I mean, the 98, 99 percent of the rest. This yeah. is stuff that is incredibly overwhelming, incredibly overhyped. Oh, mm -hmm. dude, AI is going to change the world. How? Don't worry about it. Just buy it. We'll figure it out. You know, it's not that hard. 
I mean, no. Gardner, Gardner came up with a report, uh, was it a week, two weeks ago, where they said that like, you know, 50% of companies will spend more on AI next year than they did this year. And when they try to define the projects, they don't know what the projects are. They're just going to spend more on AI, you know? So, so we, we got to take the lessons from our bubble, from our privilege, yeah. and like synthesize those for the rest of the 98% that don't have access to that, that level of, you know, complexity. So, I mean, so, so you wrote another piece that talked about the power of storytelling. Are you saying explicitly that companies, analysts, folks that have the privilege of seeing the power of new emerging technologies need to do a better job storytelling so that nine percent can open up, you know, their 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 uh, their eyes to the art of the possible? I, I so, so two things. First, first of all, thank you for reading my blog. Ever since my parents died, I had no readers, so thank you. You gotta be writing more. You know, you're not even on social media. What was that right? You're not even on social media. how do you even have a blog? I don't even write anymore. Bala is referencing things that I haven't that I wrote last year. No, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. But it was classic pieces he brought back from twenty years ago. Second second thing is like, you know, my 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 goal for the world is to take the job that you do, Vala, I mean, and, and I'm saying this with the, the nicest, kindest way I can. The job that you do and, and create 150 different Valas that can go and like replicate that, that, that value proposition, right? And, and hopefully do that outside of a vendor infrastructure, which that's, that's a whole different conversation. But like, if you can take this to people that don't have, you know, your, your, your employer's systems implemented, and they can actually go in 150 different directions and we can replicate and clone you into, I mean, Ray has 10 clones. We need 150 Bala clones. <laughs> We've deployed the 162 people Ray that is going to clone me for Disrupt TV. I would say in a year, there's going to be a robot version of me here. And I'm going to have to go find <laughs> well, another. That's the thing. I, they, they, I mean, you, 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 you read my blog better than I do. I think that if we can actually share these stories, the, the yeah. BT150, you know, the, 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 the stories of the people that you work with, we can mm. take that and say, okay, look, it's not that complicated really when you come down to it, okay? Bypass the hype, bypass all the discussions about like data transformation, digital transformation, you know, AI initiatives, automation and all this stuff. Focus on, the, on value co-creation between the company and the, and the customer. Yeah. And this is how like, you know, by the way, this is how the top 200 companies have done it. You know, right. pick your lessons from there. I mean, that's storytelling. That's what we need. That's, you know, I actually you know, have this. We've got a great place to start, actually, Esteban. We've got nine years worth of finalists for the Supernova Awards. And there's yes. about 40 to 50 years of submit, 40 to 50 submissions per year. Yeah. So we're talking almost about 400 submissions of finalists for Supernova Awards that have been telling the story since 2010, right? Yeah. Uh, we probably I, need I, to go back and look at it and, and, I, and, and really find some patterns. I work with a group of Osadas, which is... I'm sorry. You have a book. You have a book there. We just need somebody to dig in, find some, and I'd love to find. Aubrey. In Aubrey. Terms... <laughs> What's that? Where's Aubrey when you need her? <laughs> so, but I work. I work with Grupo Posadas, right? It's, it's the largest Mexican hotel chain, uh, and I work with them in submitting an incredible case study that they did for the Supernova Awards 
which I know they're going to win because nobody can top what they have done and the numbers and everything. <laughs> and the fact that I'm a judge will also help, but you know, aside, besides oh, is this that, how this works. <laughs> we'll do it the Latin American style, you know. I think it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to scale that story. Who's going to yes. get that story? The judges will see it, so a half a dozen people saw it. Of course, the organization itself. But why doesn't this story get to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of practitioners who today have no idea how to move the needle, meaning co-create value and grow their business. So I have 30 seconds for my response so you guys can wrap it up on time, but I'll give you the, the very basic <laughs> narrative of this, okay? Uh, the reason we're bored, the reason the innovation is not told, the reason the stories are not shared, the reason lessons learned are not adopted, the reason, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. The reason what you said earlier, the insight that you had, you know, at the 10 years ago, then you had the, 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 the technology to do this. The reason for all this conducts pure and simple to two things. Number one, corporate politics. And number two, the fact that people don't have resiliency and they don't have sustainability in their jobs. They change every so little and they don't take the lessons learned to the next level because, oh, I was a data storyteller, but now my next gig, I want to be an AI. You know, you go to LinkedIn, people come up with the amazingly stupidest titles that they can come up with. I'm a rockstar ninja AR, you know, agile developer. What the freak does it mean, dude? Tell me what you do and take, take what you learned and go to the AI next level. AI sec DevOps, man. AI sec DevOps. That's where we're going. <laughs> cyber AI, cyber AI DevOps, you know. I can't Seriously. 20 minutes this, you and we haven't said blockchain once. That's amazing. Oh, well, I mean, uh, Bitcoin is down the last few days. So I'm not really happy about yeah. it. Hey, it's still around 10. So, you hey, know. I just came back it's, from It's under uh, 10 now. It's I know. Under, I know. From a cryptocurrency wedding. I want to come and talk about yeah. where, where But I have, to, I have to say that I, I did make some, some decent coin on the Litecoin. But besides the point, the, the, the point is like, you know, going back to my point earlier, if we can take what you do, Vala, if we can take what Ray does with the BT150, if we can take the work that, you know, a handful of us influencers do in, in having these stories, uh, collected and retold, then we won't be bored anymore because anybody can do stuff that actually matters versus like, you know, hyping sex, what is it, cybersecurity, AI, <laughs> DevOps in, in an agile framework, whatever the, the heck well, that if, means. If you two gentlemen come up with a way to sustainably scale the distribution and, and telling of these stories based on the amazing clients that you work with, I'm in. Count me in. I, I, I will write and contribute as much as I can. So, and so with, maybe it starts with challenging the BT150 for 2019 and telling them every one of you are storytellers. And if you're willing to share the platform, it'll be ZDNet blogs from me and HBR blogs from you. I mean, I'm game. I'll interview every one of them that's willing to share a story. You know, I, I think we can do that. I mean, we've got the BT150 list. We got the Supernova Awards. Uh, that's where we do that. We try to spread it out with the judges. We've got like 40 some judges, uh, some in press, some in media, some academics, some are, you know, other influencers and, and some are analysts. Uh, but it, it's a way to scale that out. But uh, we really do should, we should look at this. So bring, bring, in, bring, into disrupt, bring into Disrupt TV. The how part is really challenging. So I, I'm finding myself now in meetings where we've identified and in some cases, identified first industry innovation capabilities and the critical path for launch of a new product in border market is the monetization strategy part. So we see something, we know the technology is there, we have this amazing, potentially disruptive capability, and what's keeping us from moving the needle forward is 
you know, who's selling what to whom and, and how, do all, how do all the stakeholders benefit from it? So it's business models, it's, it's, it's more than just technology. And, and it, 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 it feels like you need, a, you know, like an innovation college where you bring these folks and teach them not just about the, you know, the shiny objects, but so, the combination of these shiny objects actually make you money. All right, we're uh, out, out, of time. out of time. So yeah, I, 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 I can move you guys along. So hold on to that thought and we'll have a deeper conversation about that in the coming months. I love that. All right, we're with Esteban Kolsky, principal principal and founder at ThinkJar. Also a Barry Goldwater fan. Yeah. You, can't see Barry him. you can't follow him on Twitter. You can't find him at all, but uh, track him down. He's, he's, he's easy to find on social media, uh, even though he thinks he's out of that. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show, Esteban. And uh, let's talk a little bit about episode 157. Esteban Bye, Esteban. Um, <laughs> he's terrific. You and I have no idea how to, uh, you know, uh, manage the conversation with Esteban because he's so smart, so multidimensional that you can just throw away the questions and uh, just- And we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we did reference the BT150. It was uh, Business Transformation Top 150 Innovative Leaders. And it was launched this past Wednesday. You can go to Constellation and see every one of the BT150 candidates. Ray, can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, quickly go to constellationr.com if you're following. And it's, uh, look under the Business Transformation 150. Under memberships, you'll see the list. These are the top 150 folks, uh, Diane Hinchcliffe, David Chow. Uh, we've got a lot of nominations that came in through. The three of us actually picked through you know, about 200 candidates trying to figure out who's doing some great stuff. Uh, we usually start with 300, end up with 200. We eliminate 100 people uh, for, for other reasons. Some come back. Uh, some of, we look at some of the past leaders and then we bring them back. But these are folks that are really transforming organizations. They've got great teams. Most of them give back. That's why they're on the list uh, and, and they're doing something different. So, but hey, what's up on next week's show? Episode 157, Vala. Episode 157. We, we're going to start the show with Michael Moes, uh, Senior Vice President of Innovation Strategy at Salesforce. Now, I know Michael's traveling all of next week and he's on the other side of the globe. So in case he's not able to make it, we'll have a surprise guest. But for now, Michael is sensitively scheduled for next week. We have Sonny Bonnell and Ashley Hasberger, authors of Rare Breed. Uh, and uh, we're anxious to learn about the new book. And then we have one of my favorite, I know Ray's favorite, uh, guest, Larry Dignan, editor and chief at ZDNet. Larry is you know, one of the smartest people we know. And he has the pulse of the industry and all of the, you know, the tech companies that are that are uh, you know, uh, bringing new products and services to the market. So we love learning from Larry. Ray, closing remarks. Hey, now we got to close out. We're out of time. And we're now on radio, man. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 100 cities, man. What's, that's awesome. No, no, no. We're doing, I think it's like 50 cities or something like that. But we'll get there. So when we're on our way to 400 guests, 345, this is Ray Wong and Bala Ashar closing out on Disrupt TV show. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, Ray. See you, See you everyone. Bye. Thank you.